brands in this world are built from the shelf out. No, no question. You have to build the brand through the lens um, of the, the pack and the design. Welcome to Managing Marketing, a podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. My name is David Angel and today I'm joined by Pete Randerio, Director of Global Innovation at Treasury Premium Brands. Welcome, Pete, and thanks very much for joining me. David, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, you're, you're more than welcome. Um, there's, lots to, there's lots I want to ask you about, um, Pete. I think you've had a really interesting um career progression ex ex agency and 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 then you know a long time in agencies and then marketing um and i think you're i think you tell me if i'm wrong but i think your new role has become sort of more product focused and i i i really i'm interested in the wine category it's obviously very story there's a lot of perceptions attached to it you know both positive and challenging and i'm interested to to understand your view in in this category um What's the balance between the, the true innovation of the product, you know, the kind of innovation that really inspires people to try and buy, and the influence of marketing and shape, shaping people's perceptions of a, of a brand? Um, and is that is that particularly different from any other category? It's a really great question, David. I, th- I think um, I think that there's. I was thinking about this. I think about this in the context of there's there's probably two ways to think about it. There's, in some ways, the wine category is vastly different to many other categories. Um, uh, I think there's this extraordinary fact I once read that said that there was 20,000 brands in wine in the US and Australia. If you, if you come at 20,000 brands, in, in, and, and we all sort of experienced the sort of the bewilderment uh, that we face when we get to the to, to shelf. And, and the, you know, the, this myriad of kind of options and opportunities when you get to the shelf. But um, that being said, I think, one of the things that excites me about Treasury as an organization um, is that actually we are, in, in that context, we are very good at building brands in wine. Um, we know how to drive the kind of efficiency and impact that comes from um, actually building brands, uh, not just building, you know, having products at shelf. And I think that is the difference. That is the advantage that we bring Um as well as, of course, we you know we are a global winemaking and wine wine sourcing and wine wine selling business, um, and we sell in seventy countries around the world. We sort of know a lot about how to sort of make uh, the wine and, and get it out there. But but fundamentally, um, we bring a level of discipline and scale. Um, you know the FMCG rigor that comes from uh, that, that that just m- most or most wine businesses don't, um, and that becomes very important. When, as a consumer, you are confronted with that wall of wine at shelf, and the imperative to drive mental availability, to drive salience at the point of purchase, so that your brand comes to mind, you have some sense of association of what what a brand means, um, that becomes incredibly important, almost more important in wine than in many other categories that are far less complex. Our, our imperative to drive impact um, is is far greater. And therefore, the the opportunity to, to to attach associations to brands like Penfolds or Nineteen Crimes or Squealing Pig mm-hmm. become incredibly valuable. So that I feel something, I know something. It's it's a subject, you know, it's an in, intrinsic um, feeling that I have that that 
as to what the value exchange will be when I get to shelf or when I'm thinking about an occasion, when it's it's something special, I want to do do something right. I'm, I'm of course I'm going to get reach for Penfold. It's it's there there are inherent associations that are very carefully built um, in doing so. So I think we are in some ways vastly different from many categories because of the complexity, and in some ways almost the apotheosis of of, of simplicity and 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 discipline that, mm. that we have to bring. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I the uh, the level of interest in wine purchase. If I think about the purchasing experience in the average um, off license or bottle shop, as depending on country you come from, and you can liken it to sort of grocery, more traditional grocery FMCG, where you sort of it's almost a choice fatigue. There are so many bot- bottles on the shelf, um, but the huge difference is that wine wine buying is a, is a hugely higher level of interest for the consumer. You know, the brand of wine, you know, the, the wine you purchase is, is a much higher level of interest purchase than if you're buying butter or, or chocolate or whatever it might be in the in the supermarket aisle. Um, so I I think the importance of brands in that is, um, I mean, based on what you're saying, does make a huge difference. I think there's an, there's an inherent assumption there, David, that, that perhaps I'll pick you up on. I We... You and I were talking before we started. We've we've recently conducted a, a major um, usage and attitude study around the world, yeah. um, understanding the behaviour of consumers inside the category of wine and outside of the category of wine, but who are operating within what we call alcohol appropriate occasions. And what's interesting is that there is a very significant cohort of consumers that we call low involved um, who have who really aren't that interested in wine. Um, they, they sort of perhaps like it, but they aren't yeah. paying that much attention to the category. Um, and um, it's, it's not that they're buying cheap all the time. In fact, oftentimes low-involved consumers uh, or shoppers will be buying um, um, sort of often, you know, shelling out um, a lot of money for, for, for wine because it says, you know, that there is some association or they believe that, that at least the money they're paying for is is, is going to kind of represent them well, but the truth of it is, there's probably an even split between low, medium, and high involved consumers. Um, and so our task, and and then there is a significant co- cohort of consumers who are, who buy alcohol but don't buy wine, and and so our task really is to to sort of offer them things that um, that match their their level of interest. I think a low involved consumer is probably not going to want to hear about terroir and kind yeah. of varietal expressions and all of that kind of thing. It just it goes way over their heads and, and 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 I'm not talking down about them. It's just That's, it's about understanding kind of how you kind of um, what you need to offer them to get them engaged. Um, we we have a, a brand in our portfolio, Nineteen Crimes, that um, has been a brilliant, brilliant on ramp into the wine category for people who either haven't drunk wine before or have um, or have been lightly involved in the category previously um, about three years ago. And, and it's been a sort of a, a, a story of innovation over many, many years. About three years ago, um, we launched a partnership with Snoop Dogg. Um, That's uh, story. It was on, brilliant. On that brand. And, and um, he has been, because he's a cultural icon, he has been a massive um, influence in helping us introduce wine too many people who wouldn't be interested in wine previously. Um, there was I, there was an extraordinary fact 
that um, something like 40% of the people who bought our Snoop Cali Red in year one in the US had never bought um, 19 Crimes before. 20% had never bought wine before. Yeah. Um, and so that level of engagement and interest in the category didn't exist until you gave them a, a, through marketing and through smart branding and and through and and actually a very successful product that gets them keep, keeps them coming back. Um, mm. um, I think that that's the sort of sweet spot of, of how you how you don't you know that proposition is very different to our Penfolds brand, for example. Um, but uh, but actually the sort of the way you know because they're talking to quite different kind of cohorts and people. Well, I, you know, you mentioned the UNA study. I wish you'd shared the results because then I could have seen much cleverer in this conversation. I am. You're quite right. To, you're quite right to pick me up. You have you have the data. Um, but the low involvement customers. I mean, that is interesting. If they're low involvement, does that? What does that lead to? Does it lead to just habitual? In other words, I'll just buy the same brand every time because they don't really care. Or does it lead to um, non-habitual and they'll, they'll just pick up whatever they like the look of? Um, and and what it doesn't once they're at the show, take Snoop Dogg out of the equation for a sec. Yeah. Is it is it packaging design? Is it is it bottles? You know, is it bottle and packaging design and labelling that that will just it's what catches their eye? Unquestionably, um, I think one of my great learnings, having come from the world of advertising uh, into the world of wine, I think brands in this world are built from the shelf out. No no question. The yeah. the the impact that you have to. You have to build the brand through the lens um, of the the pack and the design, and and almost the brand world that then surrounds the um, the pack needs to be reflected of that pack, um, in order that that it continues to reinforce um, mm. um, the, the the purchase decision that we're sort of wanting to drive, um, and it makes us very very focused on identifying reinforcing our distinctive brand assets. Um, because that becomes the, you know, again, because the complexity of the category is so great, you need to know that um, everything that you're doing uh, will continue to um, sort of build the memory structures that we know are so important um, uh, to drive uh, impact. I think in terms of your question, our sort of, you, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the A low-involved wine consumer probably does have a repertoire that's relatively narrow. They know, like what they know and they know what they like. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that in time they don't get confident, in, a little bit more confident in the category and perhaps sort of step up the involvement scale. It's not, that is a, that's a, a, a well-worn sort of path. You sort of, you, you buy one thing, you sort of like the taste of it, you're out and you buy, you now know that you kind of quite like that sort of Shiraz that you had last week. So hmm. you might be interested in another Shiraz. Um, I think, you know, there's, it's, it is a, I think we, as an industry, wine has made um, understanding wine quite complicated, you know, yeah. varietals and place and all of that kind of stuff. But I think once you're in, it, it, you can gain, easily gain um, the on-ramp into, into learning and, and growth because it, it's, it's a, there's so many vast opportunities to unlock. Yeah, yeah. I think there are. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come and talk about opportunities a bit in a sec. But I think a lot of what we talked about there, certainly from a brand perspective, a choice, a complexity perspective, a consumer perspective, an understanding perspective, relates to challenges. Certainly from a certainly from a marketing 
perspective. But I think it's fair, and again, you know, you you tell me where I'm where I'm going wrong here. It's my interpretation, but I think it's fair to say that the category and, and certainly parts of the premium wine category have had there's been a number of headwinds. I mean, I, you know, large sort of hangovers of the the, the trading issues with that Australia has had with China, and, and um, there's inflationary pressure that affects everything in the world right now. But you know, cost of production and margin must be challenging, um, and then. Consumer focus challenges, macroeconomic conditions. You know, people people struggling. They reduce their discretionary or or, or luxury expenses. Um, I mean, does any of that? How much does that figure? I mean, does it does that keep you up? What keeps you up at night regarding those kind of challenges? Or are you are you are you really focused on on the opportunities of the products and the brand? I mean, no doubt those are those are challenges. But and by the way, I sleep quite well. Um, <laughs> yes. I. Um, I, I think that, that I'm an inherently optimistic person. I, I think those challenges that you identify are, are all very real and, and you must, you know, we cannot kind of ignore them and we confront them. Believe me, we're confronting them day in, day out. Um, and, and, you know, but, but I, you know, and some things we can control, um, yeah. but some, you know, Australia's relationship with China probably not something that um that we have a big hand <laughs> in influencing <laughs> it's um, a challenge right but that makes it more of a challenge because you don't it's more of a challenge yeah. but i think i think i i'm, I'm optimistic because i don't think I, i'm from 25 years of working in agencies i know how powerful and important brands are mm-hmm. and i think we have an unparalleled set of brands um that can help us that help set us up to sort of navigate these kind of challenges. I think, I think that's where it becomes sort of massively helpful to have scale and clout and depth uh, in a portfolio of, of um, some of the best brands in wine, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and, um, and certainly, you know, amongst ours are some of the best brands full stop. Um, mm. And so I just think that, you know, we can get very bogged down in those sort of challenges but i think if you lift yourself above the parapet and look at what we what assets we have to play with great brands extraordinarily um significant kind of winemaking capability and scale we have you know unbeatable kind of resources at our fingertips to to, to create success for ourselves and i think that that for me is what what excites me uh, and why i do sleep well and what gets me sort of zipping out of bed in the morning Trinity P3. Clearly, I mean, you are an optimist. I have worked with you and, I, you know, I, I don't disagree. You are an inherently, from what I've seen, an inherently um, optimistic person. But you mentioned agencies there. And I'm interested, you know, as a, as a poacher term, gamekeeper, a lot of time spent agencies yourself. And, yeah. yeah, we've talked about the challenges a bit. But, of course, as part of the marketing mix, getting, the, you know, getting advertising right really is, is important. Um you're investing it in it. I mean, Snoop Dogg. Wow. I mean, that's an amazing. Just that example is an amazing investment um, from you that, that, that translates into advertising. Um, when you're choosing an agency to drive advertising with you, it. I mean, again, a very competitive category. You're you're working in a global perspective. It can be hard to see the wood for a tree from the trees a bit. Um, what do you think um, differentiates a great agency from a good one? At the moment, my view is that this is a business 
treasury is a business that that like none that I've ever kind of worked with or for, um, absolutely backs ideas. Like one hundred and fifty percent embraces big ideas, and so I think what we what we look for from the kinds of agencies that we want to work with is the bigness of thinking to help us land those ideas. So we really celebrate and reward great strategy. We, we, we really demand strategic rigor um, and we work well strategically with our agency partners, I think. Um, but the strategy is for naught if it doesn't lead to great, big, disruptive thinking. And we are absolutely kind of focused on trying to disrupt the category. Um, and I, we can talk about that now or we can talk about that later. But I think that, that there are, therefore the agencies that we work with need to help us kind of drive the kind of disruption that we're after. Um, both in the strategy and the ideas that we kind of ultimately go after. And I think that the we talk a lot about the, the, the imperative as a global business, our imperative in the ideas that we sort of celebrate is about unlocking the universal human need, not, not a sort of cultural kind of sort of specific culture, specific kind of consumer insight, but a universal human need. Um, we've just done, a major restage of our 19 crimes brand built a new global brand platform and the agency we partner with on that brand uh, observatory in la um who are a brilliant partner of ours um you know had just helped us land to a really sort of simple nugget of a truth which is that in a world of rules and restrictions that we all experience sometimes it's quite good to be bad and um, and that's true whether you're in China or in the US or in France or, you know, anywhere. Um, you know, the, the level of badness, um, yeah. the level of how much you can talk about badness or, or rebellion differs, but the, the universality of the, of the, the need that, that's unlocked there becomes really interesting. Um, and that's the kind of big thinking that we really kind of want to, well, we need more of on our brands and, and, and that we embrace heartily. How big is your role in enabling that from an agency? I, it strikes me anyway, we've both worked in agencies a long time, I think, and I think with all due respect to every, every client I've ever worked with, um, sometimes bravery, that kind of break, you know, sort of creative bravery really that you're talking about doesn't always follow through. Um, and agencies uh, can be challenged by that. Um, yes. And, I, and it's difficult to know how much that has affected over time or eroded the, 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 the quality of agencies thinking generally and how much brave organisations have had to step in. Um, you've obviously found an agency in the observatory with, 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 with that brain power there. But how much of it was you... Well, not you personally, but whatever whatever team yeah. maybe including you, enabling them to think like you wanted them to think. Well, no doubt, I think, um, and it's not just me. There's a, a few, you know, 
people that the organization has. I think that I, I really admire an organization that recognizes its strengths and, and its weaknesses and, it, and, and of late it's brought in a few people with the kind of, with a more creative mindset um, to perhaps make up for the sort of analytical kind of order and structure that, that a, a big global, you know, um, you know, wine, wine business like ours needs. Obviously you can't, you can't just sort of, sort of um, work your way through, through that. You need to sort of have, uh, you need to have discipline and order and structure to get things done. But, but you also need a bit of, you know, beyond the science, you need a bit of the art. And, of um, and, and I think I see sort of my role as a, as giving those inside the organization a bit of the confidence that the ideas that we're backing are good. And um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not deeply involved in every creative decision in this organization, nor, nor should I be. But on significant projects, um, we like to surround ourselves, like sort of surround the team with, with people who can, who, who can spot an idea and can celebrate an idea and, 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 and help the team to, to embrace that and to help sort of advocate for that up the line. Um, you know, we don't want to do things that are reckless, but we also want to push the envelope. And I think we've, in our, our, our CEO, Tim Ford, is very clear that our agenda is to be disruptive. Um, I think it's, it's, and when you get that kind of permission from the top, yeah. I think it makes the task of people like me who can see opportunity much more, you know, it, 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 it's much more enticing. It's it, 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 we can, you know, there, there's more that we can do, you know, more impact that we can make because we can actually say, you know, back, back, we can back ourselves and back the ideas yeah. that we've got. Trinity P3. What I heard was that it sort of generates cultural things, a state of mind that you can put within your own team and with the agency um, that, that does, at the end of the day, creatives are human beings. They want to be motivated, and, and that will produce best thinking. I just I think that that is lacking in in our in our industry in in the advertising marketing industry. Um, so it's great to hear that that you're driving that because I think it does get the best out of agencies, and I think it's self perpetuating. Um, yeah, um, I think I think uh, I learned long ago that agencies are at their best when they're solving problems. Yeah, it's not when there's when they're um it's not when they're responding to tasks or kind of that they're, they're actually getting to the nub of the problem and, and understanding how to sort of and that's where where we can't do that ourselves we we need the best kind of thinkers to help us kind of take the leaps that we can't see ourselves yeah. um and um and that's why we whilst we have a very now significant in-house agency that we've built over the last uh year or two 18 months um called splash who are an amazing bunch of talented people um we recognize that we sometimes we need to take a leap outside and we you know we need bigness of thinking that comes from the outside we continue to work with external agencies for strategy on a, on an ongoing basis yeah. and then on, on major projects we'll we'll work with external um, partners to help you, us kind of make the leap and you do that because there's so much opportunity let's get to the favorite bit of the conversation the opportunities i mean you you know you talk there You've, you've mentioned a couple of times category disruption, and and that's you know that's really interesting. It, we've we've talked also about the huge complexity of the category, um, but scale of one to ten, where are you on that? I mean, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but where, 
how much opportunity is there to disrupt this category? Oh, massive. Massive, massive so right? We, we're probably, I mean, we've only huge. scratched the surface. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've only scratched the surface. Uh, we're probably at like a two so yeah. far. Um, um, you know, I think that it, it's, if there was one thing that sort of kept me up at night, which if you flip into an op- opportunity is, is I think interesting is, um, I talk about the fact that the wine category has a sort of ex- an existential challenge ahead of it, which is essentially that our buyer base, our consumer base is aging out of the category, is basically dying out. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, when you look at the sort of the age profile, particularly in our advanced markets, um, sort of, you know, it's no surprise that, you know, the a significant chunk of the consumption of wine uh, happens by people over 50 uh, mm. and it goes up from there. And so our task on behalf of both our business and our brands, but also the entire industry. And in the case of um, treasury premium brands um, on behalf of the, you know, the Australian wine industry, uh, we need to be bringing new people into the category at a rate of knots to to stem that sort of aging that, that I talked about. And we have to do that in multiple ways. We need to, um, and it's not just about recruiting, you know, um, legal drinking age and above consumers. It's also about getting people who have been in the category, but may have dropped out of the category for mm-hmm. very good reasons um, that, you know, wine makes them feel unpleasant or, you know, it's too strong for them or the chemicals set them off or, Whatever. So, so we are investing heavily in thinking about how to bring consumers back into the category with propositions that that are more inventive and and, and interesting. That that perhaps for those people deliver against all of their core needs of the category, but then also remove some of the barriers. We've just um, in Australia um, just launched our first sort of significant play into mid-strength wine. We've created. We're created. We're partnering with um, Endeavour Drinks to essentially create a category uh, in store and um, and through the lens of our brands for mid strength. Um, you know, wine between seven and eight percent, something like that. So that and you know, we've helped to name it. We've given the category a colorway that now helps to identify it, not just on our brands, but. Endeavour is taking that to other suppliers that they work with to help help them develop their propositions. But I think that's it's really an interesting op- opportunity of where we are kind of working with a close um, retail partner of ours to to essentially address some of the challenges that those existential challenges in the category. Um, and early indications are that um, we can't keep up with demand at the moment, um, which is um, well. You're, you're illustrating, doing- yes. You're, you're illustrating the huge white space that you've got in terms of opportunity, both in yeah. bringing consumers in, but also in, in product innovation. Those two things yeah. together, alongside the marketing and, and, and the branding, um, yeah, two out of ten. You know, as an optimist, that's exciting, right? That's exciting. Yeah, it's all. Where do you? How how do you think? Uh, how far can you move the dial? I mean, uh, you know, if I think about the future and you, you know, the, the typical sort of what does success look like? You know, three years down the track, where do you want to have moved that to? To what do you what do you think you can have achieved? Um, you know, over the next two to three years, what would success look like for you? 
we're a we're a premium wine business, and our but I think what what our task is fundamentally is to bring the pleasure of what premium wine is to more people on more occasions. We need to get more people enjoying wine or wine like products. Um, and I'm you know we're not and we're not confined to the 750 mil bottle and it's yeah. not confined to full strength you know Shiraz. Um, so we are flexible on what on you know our beverage options. We're flexible on the brands. We're flexible on the formats. But our task is to to essentially drive penetration, yeah. more people enjoying uh, on more the, our products on more occasions. There are categories around the world that are flying right now. Spirits and RTDs particularly are just going off the charts, and um, and so there is a real appetite to I think look at ways that we can innovate to capitalize on that, you know, think about what's driving those categories for growth, refreshment, conviviality, whatever. And if we can address the sort of core needs that those, those consumers have, but bring what, why, what makes wine special, one's more elevated, one's more sophisticated, one's more sort of premium. If we can bring sort of work to the strengths of what we do as a business, but open up the category to more people who, who may find it intimidating or may feel like at a product level, it just doesn't fulfill their needs. That becomes a really interesting opportunity space. Mm-hmm. So I'd say in three years time, we'd want to be, um, have driven it sort of our, our penetration gains, um, uh, significantly. Well, I love the positivity. I love the optimism. Um, I think you've got it, you've got it all to play for, which is, um, it's a fascinating thing, you know. You you are. It is. It when you. It might be an existential sort of challenge, but what what an opportunity! I mean, <laughs> you, you've really totally. like with working with with the brands you've got already. It's, it's, it's just it's all upside, as you say. Um, so and I and I wish you all the best with it. It's been a fascinating conversation, and we've touched quite a few um, different areas within that. Not not just marketing, but but. Um, no less fascinating for it. Thanks again for uh, for joining me, and I'll, we'll talk in three years, and you'll be up to a seven by sure. <laughs> yeah, you can you can uh, review my scorecard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Time. Okay, thanks again. Cool, Pete. Dave. Thanks very much for having me.